they live and breathe and don't even sleep because it's just theater all the time. We've got to do this. And I'm not that person. And I think that took a while for me. Like that took a lot of trial and error being like, no, I, I value my time with myself. I value my time with my significant other. I value time to just like explore my other creative outlets and that's okay. Welcome back to the Thank You Places podcast. Today, we are listening to a conversation that I had with Jacob Hines. Jacob is a Nashville-based creator and one of my longest artistic friends. We, in this podcast, discuss the importance of recognition and validation from other artists and how that's changed as we've gotten older. We also talk about burnout and really being more honest with ourselves about what burnout looks like. We talk about fear, fear to create, fear to direct, fear to lead, and the pressure to be perfect. Jacob also gives us a bit of some insight on how to write your own musical. Please stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear more about how to find Jacob. And with that, please enjoy Jacob Hines in Perfection and Prayers. Okay, today's special because Jacob Hines is on the show. Jacob Hines is a Nashville-based creative uh, and creator, and we're going to go into more about what that means. But Jacob and I also, we lived together in Nashville. We've been lifelong friends. I say lifelong. We've been friends for more than 10 years. Yeah, I literally did my gratitude journal earlier, and I wrote grateful for lifelong friends because I was thinking about getting to talk to you. So that's weird that you said it because it's true. We're synchronized. Life life didn't begin until Taylor Swift released 1989. And so that is exactly when I would say we've become lifelong friends, even though we were friends before that, but it's all good. I'm glad that you brought up Taylor Swift because um, no one else on the podcast has yet. And I think it's really important yes. to just make a note about, about her and how she has, um, as an artist, showed up for, for us over the years. My spin class this morning ended, uh, the instructor, she ended it with all too well, 10 minute version. Oh. And I sat there and I said, it is Monday morning, mama. And we can't do this. That's too sad. <laughs> it was very sad. I mean, it was like the, the wind down. So I did wind down, but I also was like, oh no, I can't now. <laughs> now we're in our fields. Um, yeah. when you were in, I mean, you still live in Nashville, but when Taylor Swift was living in Nashville, did you ever have any T-Swift run-ins? No, I didn't really. Well, she went to the rival high school. Oh, yeah. Because I went to a beach in Hendersonville and she went to Hendersonville High School. And so that was when she was like, obviously young, young. And I just remember people, I obviously love Taylor at this point. I just remember people would be like, she just show up to parties and start playing her guitar for and like want people to listen to her, which I mean, honestly, I think in that day and age, people are like, that's a bitchy thing to do. And like, why would she do that? But nowadays I'm like, market, girl. <laughs> market it. You do it on TikTok. So right. might as well do it in person. I know. She's like, I'm going to treat this graduation party as a networking event. So here we go. Brilliant. And it's worked out for her. I know. I mean, Everyone truly. can eat their words. Well, and this is what I know about you is that you were a huge Haley Williams and Paramore fan at that time. Oh, so yes. there was probably that was your focus because they were also in Nashville, right? Oh, yeah. And then there was the weird crossover of Haley and Taylor being like best friends and they would like go to Sweet CC's in Franklin together, which RIP Sweet CC's all around. Well, I want to know a little bit about your journey as a theater artist. I know when we were living together in, in Nashville, you were getting a lot of design work and a lot of stage management work. And then we've talked privately there's you and I both have kind of struggled with our identity as artists and what does it mean and do we have time to dedicate to it and do we take the plunge and just work as an artist full time or do we like to make a little bit of money too so I would love for you to kind of beat out where you are now and how you got there because you are you've created a musical which is going up in the first part of June Mm -hmm. So I would say as someone who I know was kind of going through it, you've ended up um, creating something pretty amazing. And I just want to know how you got there because I am struggling. 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, same though. I'm like, I had, yeah, we'll go on the journey, but I had my first therapy session with a new therapist last week. And I was like, I'm in a creative block and have been for a year and a half. So, but yeah, when we were living together, I was doing all the set design, all the stage management stuff. And I really burned myself out so fast because I feel like it was, it was community theater after community theater after community theater. And I love community theater and I support it. And I think it's fantastic, but it was just a lot of unpaid gigs. And it was, I mean, at the time I had just come out of a two-year relationship. Well, while we were living together, that obviously happened. And I think me too, right? Yes. Yeah. That was, that was Taylor Swift <laughs> moment so, on the floor yeah. eating cupcakes listening yeah. to 1989. So, um, good. <laughs> so I had all this time to fill. And so I was like, I'm going to fill it with theater. And I did, which was probably unhealthy, but I think I just really burned myself out because I, I got to the point where I was like, okay, if I'm going to be able to work a nine to five job, because that was what I do. And I still do unfortunately or fortunately or whatever, however you want to phrase it as a survival job. Um, and also be able to do theater. I can't do it all the time because I was like, I won't have time for anything. I won't have time for myself or anyone else. And then I got into another relationship and I was still doing design work, but not as much. And then that's when we moved to Boston. <laughs> oh shit. I forgot about that. So also Jake and I both thing. moved to Boston at yes. separate times. Yes. Except for maybe a two week crossover period. I was going to say we overlapped for a, a month, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you like being a stage manager? Did you like being a designer? Because I know when I was in my early twenties, I was taking really any job that came to me. And okay. at the time I wasn't even asking myself if I like this, I just was trying to meet people. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I look back and like, who let me stage manage? I hate lists. I hate organization. I hate not being on stage. So yeah. it was just, I, I look back and go, what was I doing? But maybe you liked it. But you were so, you were really good at stage management. Because I remember when you stage managed Picnic, but I think it's because you're a people person. And so I, it, it does take, I think, I think a really good quality of a stage manager that people don't think about a lot is like, you kind of have to be an extrovert slash people person because otherwise you just kind of seem like a cold bitch when you're like, if you're telling people to do what to do all day long, then I feel like you have to be able to do it nicely and have conversation with it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Thanks. I would say I don't really enjoy the world of set design. Like I thought I would like, and I think it's, I think, like you said, I was just like taking opportunities because as an Enneagram three, I was like, I want the recognition and I want the validation and all of that. And now looking back, like every single set that I've designed over the past, we'll say five years, every time someone's like, do you want to design a set? I immediately say, I'll design it, but I'm not building it. Mm. Or I'll say, I just, I'll design it and I'll maybe oversee the painting of it, but I won't build it. Because speaking of community theater, I think a lot of the theater in Nashville is if you design it, you build it. Mm. And that's really unfortunate because I that's where I lose the creativity. I'm like, okay, well, I then start designing for stuff that I know I can build and it's not going to take me a lot of time. And that is like, why am I even designing? So I relate because I want to like cast every show and then, and then leave and be like, well, that, that project's done. Good Um, luck. Good luck. This is going to be a great show. Yeah, I do. I do. I've always wanted to be a consultant because that lifestyle of like coming in giving you my expertise, working with you a bit, and then moving on is just really delicious. And theater doesn't let you do that. You sign on, you sign in with blood and you're there until the bitter end. Yeah. I Jacob, actually love stage managing. You do. Yeah. I just don't do it ever because now I've been directing, but honestly, I'm kind of at a point where I'm like directing, I think puts, I feel so much stress and pressure and anxiety around directing. Why? I don't know. I've been trying to tell myself this time around, like I went into rehearsals for tenure and like first day told the cast, I was like, a lot of us have not done live theater in over two years now. For me, it had been two and a half. 
And I was like, I want this to be a place for exploration and collaboration and no pressure. And then like fast forward two hours and I was like, this is going to be a shit show from my (laughs) end. Um, And I think it's just like, I put too much pressure on myself. I'm like, everything has to be perfect, but I don't know. I mean, art's art. So like if someone buys a $20 ticket and they don't like it, then like, sorry, but at least we're putting art out there. (laughs) No, I agree. And something I talk about with a friend here is like, I would rather you not like it or love it. But the worst is being like, "Mm, it was fine. It was fine. Right. So, so knowing that someone might hate it, at least there's like, okay, I've done something. I've struck a nerve somewhere. In Dallas, the word collaboration is often overused, or um, it is, it is used as like a buzzword. And we struggle here to find true collaboration. And I think, for me, it is hard to collaborate because I recognize that collaboration is something that our larger theaters are not good at and people are asking for. And then as a small theater maker, it's really hard for me to say, okay, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. This collaboration is also a really weird word. I don't, it's a buzzword. It's a, it's a buzzword. And people love it. Well, right. It sounds good. It sounds like you're going to get to be involved. And something that I've discovered too is, is sometimes because people are so used to not having a say in the room because of all the systemic issues in place when you offer them a space to have a voice in the room there's a distrust there and so it's not as easy as saying the door is open for you to be involved and what do you think and how would you do this differently um it has taken some trust and uh continuing to offer that before people really say okay i do feel like i can collaborate in Nashville, do you find that the music industry overshadows theater? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, people don't go. I feel like a tourist that come and anyone that's not involved in the theater scene, if it's a Friday night, they're not thinking like, where's a show I can go see that's theater? They're thinking, where's live music happening? How would you solve that? Because Dallas is not as much live music, but it's like there is a sports game going on. It's going to be basketball. It's going to be football. It's going to be hockey. That And people will spend a lot of money to go do those things, similarly to oh, concerts. Yeah. Why or what do you think is the barrier? My a pers- a co-worker today literally just made the comment that they went to go see the Reimagine Oklahoma at TPAC. And she was like, oh, I saw a... a uh, I saw the poster for Mary Poppins because it was happening at the same time because the rep is doing Mary Poppins. And she was like, oh, I would have rather seen that. And I was just like, hearing her say that, I was like, people outside of theater world have no clue when even a big name show like Mary Poppins is happening in their own town at the biggest theater venue in the town. And that is crazy to me. And so I'm like, I don't know if it's marketing because the thing is, it's expensive. Like marketing, anything's expensive. Obviously we all have, Instagram now. So like, but if people aren't looking for it, then, you know, I don't, I don't, I think we're also in this weird thing of, I feel like people classify musicals as like the classicals. So when, like when non-theater people hear musical, they're like, Oh, sound of music or Oklahoma or something like that. And then I feel like it's hard to try to get away from that definition and be like, but what about this? Like, really cool brand new queer piece that's an extended one act and has nothing classical about it. I don't know. I, I feel like it's so strange to me because Nashville is such an art town. Mm -hmm. Like all the time people are like arts thriving and we're like Nashville is an art city, which I think is true because there's so much cool shit that's happening. But I feel like with it, especially because of COVID, I'm just seeing everything like fizzle out, which is really sad, but like, well, and that's what, I mean, I've been experiencing it internally, but I've looked around at all of, you know, the small theaters that were kind of the same size as my theater. And a lot of us haven't come back or we're just coming back this summer for a reading. And we're all having this conversation of, do we want to, um, do we want to, and, and I don't really know if I want to or, or why I don't want to, 
I do think my focus shifted from the audience to the actors. I want to provide a space for artists to grow, create, express themselves. And what's a shame to me is when you're filling out grant applications or anything, it's like, well, how are you helping the community? And saying, well, I'm providing a space for artists to grow and learn and perform, that doesn't count. They want to know what you're doing for the audiences. And that really bums me out because I don't care about the audience in the same way that I care about the actor or the director or the designers. Um, Yes. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. I I literally thought about it. I mean, it's very strange you bring this up because this, we are doing our read through and sing through of the show tonight for the first time. We obviously, we workshopped it last year, but we've done some rewrites and all this. So we're hearing it for the first time tonight, like all the way through as it should be with the full cast and everything. And I was thinking this morning how I wanted to start out rehearsal because I've been trying to think of like, we've been doing some like mindfulness stuff and whatever as we start. And one of the things was I wanted to tell everyone like, do this for you. I know our lovely Becky Baker from Lipscomb always says dare to fail gloriously, but like truly this should be a, like this, we're not putting on this musical to sell tickets. Like in my opinion, I don't care about if there's two people or 32 people in the audience, like for me, it's a, we're telling, we're, we're telling a queer story, Mm -hmm. which there needs to be more of a in the world, but B, especially in the South. Um, Second piece is like, I want you to feel that like you gained something as an artist, like you've, you've honed it in on a new skill or like, this was like some part of your character work brought up something that like you wanted to process or, just how does this whole rehearsal process really benefit you as an artist and not thinking about it like, oh, the end game is being good in front of an audience so that they love the show, you know? It's like, and that's what I'm hoping to convey. And it's just funny that you say that because I kind of also agree because after doing like I'm doing the Bell Witch Fall Festival again this year. Mm-hmm. And that is all audience. <laughs> like it's right. Like that is an audience show. Like that is a thousands of people will come to see this show. And uh, I'm hoping that the actors get something out of it. And I'm hoping that it's an exploration process. But to me, there's just a different focus. And I'm finding it hard to just connect and, like you said, want to do anything i'm like is it me is it is it you is it the art is it yeah what is it i don't have an answer if i come up with one or if you do we'll we'll agree to trade i want to ask you about this musical but in relation to i remember in school Mm -hmm. you did a directing scene Mm -hmm. that was a queer story right am i getting this Mm -hmm. correctly yes and yep. there was drama around it. Am I also remembering this correctly? There was drama around it. I don't know if you want to go. I don't know if you want to go into that, but I guess my curiosity was just like in the twelve year. I mean, when did we graduate? Two thousand fourteen. So eight years. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. Since graduation and being able to mm-hmm. now like fully produce a brand new queer focused, queer written mm-hmm. musical. What does that mean to you? Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it means a lot. And I honestly don't know if I've even processed it. And this is like the Enneagram three in me is had multiple people say, we're so proud of you. I'm like, okay, thanks. Um, Yes. Say it again. Comment on Instagram, whatever. (laughs) Um, Share, buy a ticket. Um, but I honestly don't think I fully process. And I don't even know if I will until we like, till I see an audience member in the seat to say like, we're telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause Wesley and I <clears throat> sat down to write this musical in 2018. And we had this idea of like nostalgia. Wesley's the most nostalgic person I know. I obviously am nostalgic as well. Not to the like nth degree like he is, but 
we wanted to write something that was like, where do you draw the line that like nostalgia and the past and living in the past and dwelling on the past becomes toxic? At what point is dwelling on the good, the bad, whatever, controlling your life now and realizing like, oh, the past is the past for a reason. Let's learn from it. Let's celebrate the good things. But like, we all have to keep moving forward. Right. Exactly. It's our only Um, choice. Which I think really plays into kind of the question you asked, because that story of me directing that show or scene in the winter of 2013, literally on my birthday, um, I remember all of this, but like directing it. And then afterwards, we won't name names because we're not that type of podcast here. <laughs> um, they're not listening. But there are people, I see them everywhere because they are in Nashville theater still. And well, every I went and saw a production and they were in it. And I was like, I don't even know if you, you probably don't even remember doing that. And it sits with me every single day, every single time that I think about this. But knowing that like a story that we told and to have so many people celebrate it and then to have so many people, not so many, but a very select few people, I guess, those people were so enraged or confused or whatever adjective you want to use to then ignorant. That's it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's the best word. Scrap the others. Um, So ignorant to then your immediate reaction, not even, to go to anyone to ask questions, but your immediate reaction is like, let's hold a prayer circle about this. And like, I don't know, what are we praying the gay away, I guess? Or like, I I don't know what we're doing. So is that what it was? So you did a scene and it was about, it was two men. It was, so it was a scene uh, from prayers for Bobby, which is a novel. It's a novel um, that they didn't turn into a lifetime movie. LOL. Um, (laughs) But I took pieces of the novel and then some of the script from the Lifetime movie and kind of morphed them together and wrote some extra scenes. And we basically, because the novel is journal entries, um, spoiler alert, if you don't, if you want to see it, don't listen to the next sentence I'm going to say. Great. But (laughs) Bobby's story sadly ends with him taking his own life. He ends up jumping off a bridge in front of a car. and the novel is actually the journals that his mom found and oh, they wow. compile it's so powerful but they compiled his journals into this novel and then they made it into this movie so we made this scene and i wrote the scene and there was another student at the time that we really just related to it we wanted to tell the story and basically the story was about bobby but we focused on the fact that instead of like hearing people out and listening to their whole story or treating them with love or however you want to phrase it. um, Bobby was like very much met with religiously. This is not correct. Religiously, this goes against everything we believe here are Bible verses, like just all of these pieces of we're not going there ultimately ending him ending his life. But, you know, he just never really felt, a connection. He never felt heard. He never felt loved by his own family. And that was the scene. It was a 15 minute scene. And then it ended with some select people um, basically holding a prayer circle about it. Like, like at the, like after the performance, right in the same space. Yes. Was that, yeah. Right outside the space. Cause it was at the black box at, you know, at our, at our university. And it was yeah. right outside the room, right outside the black box. Um, I remember walking in, I'd walked out of the door. There was a group of people who were sobbing because of the story we told. And, you know, we're just so, there was so much love in that moment. And then turning around and walking the opposite direction and seeing this, literally, I know it's a prayer circle, but it felt like a seance. It was like, (laughs) like, like calling all the energy to be like, what's happening? Right. And it wasn't prayerful. You know, it could have been like, wow, so many queer teens have the same story, the numbers for suicide for LGBTQ teens and I mean, young adult, even adults is disproportionately higher. Let us pray over that and how we show up. It wasn't that. 
I just want yeah. everyone to hear like it wasn't that kind of prayer, which could have no. happened. No. Um, no. How horrible. It was unfortunately not a prayer of, oh, this is an educational moment for us. Let's let's pray about it. It was more around, which I think speaks to our, earlier when we said, if you see something and you don't like it, I like that reaction. Like I'd much rather tell me why, but instead of having a conversation about it, going straight into which to this day, they've never had a conversation. The individuals that I saw in that prayer circle <laughs> have never had a conversation with me about it. Um, but the prayer was more from my understanding based on, again, the backlash and what happened after it was more around the scene, blaming the scene, saying the scene like criminalized, not criminalized, let's say villainized religion mm. as a whole, mm. um, saying that every single person who is a Christian or who is religious or whatever treats anyone at the time, I think the word used was like anyone that is a homosexual as, as such, as was displayed. Not a homosexual. Not a homosexual. There was a waiter at a restaurant the other day that used the word flamboyant. And I was like, is that the Southern way of saying mm -hmm. queer? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was like, we're playing flamboyant music. I was like, I, okay, I see you, sir. That's what you mean. So what our listeners maybe not know is we went to a, a pretty small, it was a Christian university. And yeah. I know there are other people who also went to Christian universities. And I think about my choice to go there. And just because of things like this that came up that was like, this is the antithesis to what theater is and can yes. stand for. And can, I mean, theater has it has its problems. But I know for so many of us in high school, it was this, it was a safe haven. It was a place where we could be ourselves and be expressive and be queer and we could be dramatic or whatever the stereotypes of theater kids are in high school and then to get to a college where it was you know it was wrong to be who you were and that wasn't maybe overtly i mean it wasn't overtly said to me but i think it was it was there and it was conveyed in more insidious ways oh absolutely i mean people ask me all the time whenever i say they say where do you go to school and i say it and then they say why? I'm like, well, <laughs> I was confused and closeted and it was close to home and like all these things. And there are other factors that kind of played into that, but it's exactly what you said. It's theater for me is a creative space where you should be able to figure it out, where you should be able to find whatever part of yourself you're looking for, for you to be able, like we said, to like dare to fail gloriously, where you can like look around the room and not feel judged because it should be a safe space. But I mean, the university itself, like I think has progressed. I think, I don't know. I don't really keep up today. I know the theater program obviously is, is worlds different on their stances and, and where it was, but when we were there, you couldn't like, if I held hands with the guy I was dating at, at, the the place the place that we went <laughs> the place mm -hmm. if i held hands if they saw especially they saw me kiss if there was any sort of display like i would have been i don't i probably would have been just expelled i don't even know if probation was a thing then so putting on the scene was such a big deal already in that because it was a just testament of like this is how you can feel when you're in environments like this one like you can feel that overpowered by something that shouldn't really be like that. Like it shouldn't, if, if, if Jesus is love and, and this is what you're speaking this religion about, and we go to chapel two times a week and hear all of this. And then the next day it's like, well, Jesus is love. Unless you out there holding hands with a boy, then Jesus is not love. He's expelled. I didn't go to chapel that often. So I, I, didn't, <laughs> True. I didn't get any of those messages. Well, and how ironic that the whole, I mean, life imitates art. The whole oh, yeah. point was unbelievably and almost laughably missed um, by them reacting the way that they did afterwards. Oh, absolutely. And I haven't like you bring this up is just like, there's so many like gears going off in my head where I'm like, 
I've never really thought that it's kind of coming full circle to be able to put a queer story that, you know, this queer story that Wes and I have spent four years working on out into the world in Nashville under our own names, not listening to anybody's rules and just doing it. I mean, it's hard because I feel like in a place like Nashville, we're already, we're already lacking in the theater community. I think there are a lot of queer voices, but we're already lacking a lot of LGBTQ plus voices in the art world here. So I think it's important. Is there any piece of you that is afraid of backlash? I hadn't even thought of that, but which I think is good, but that's that's, great. It is great. It is really great. Maybe this is when I'm ignorant, but it is really great to just be able to say, I'm going to do this. It's, I mean, it's my hope for you that, that you are met with nothing but success and praise and the people who work with you and enjoy it. And maybe I just gave you an idea for your director's note um, at the beginning of the program. So you're welcome. All credit to you. Thank you. Yes. What failures, if any, do you feel like you've experienced? Oh, man. Wow. Failures is a really big word because I, well, as an Enneagram three, like the fact that I didn't accomplish one item on my to-do list today, I'm like, failure, bitch. Um, Wonder if there's a better word. Well, it's probably just me. I probably need to rephrase the word failure. Well, like what's, what's, what's a time that you missed the target? Like yeah. you were going for something and it just ended up differently. So to answer that question, one thing that I've been struggling with a whole lot And a reason that I think I relate to the reason you started this podcast is I feel like I am stuck right now because, and this is not me tooting my own horn. It actually feels the exact opposite when I say it out loud, but I feel like I'm good at a lot of things, but I don't feel like I'm great at one thing. And I think that's something that I'm sure a lot of, I mean, even saying that like I'm a Nashville creative or creator, because it's like someone will message me and say, Hey, can you do a watercolor painting of my house? And I say, absolutely. I would love to do that. Even though inside I'm like dying a little bit, but if you're listening to this, I'll still do it. I'll figure it out. Right. But then it's like, I turn around, I'm like, Oh, but I also am good at directing theater oh but i'm also good at graphic design but like i'm not fantastic at graphic design but like i know when i shouldn't put two colors together and use comic sans or like a blurry photo all of this to say like i think as far as missing the target i think it's hard for me to like pinpoint an area because i feel like i'm really hard on myself but i feel like it i'm going to translate this question into a lot of the past year and a half to two years has me being has been me saying i'm gonna do this and i invest like all of my time and energy for like a month being like you know what i can start my own etsy shop and then i get day 28 and i'm like no i just don't feel like i'm interested anymore i don't think i can do it that's too much work i don't have the skills for that whatever it may be, or a combination of all those things. And I turn around and a month later, I'm doing the same thing all over again, where it's like, I'm going to quit my job and like go work at a cookie shop. And (laughs) I'm going to love my life. And while I'm working the cookie shop, then I'll be able to like freelance and like design more. And then I get through like literally step three of a four-step interview to work at this cookie shop. I'm like, no, not doing, not going to do that. So I don't know if it's really like, missing the target but it's a lot of just like feeling like i'm gonna go in this one direction and then do i know why i don't absolutely not but i'm like "Mm, guess maybe i'll do that eventually i think that's so relatable and i think that's why you calling yourself a nashville creative is exactly right because we are not specialists we are a little bit generalists who are really good at probably three or four things, but we talked about Becky Baker earlier, Scott Baker. I remember said one time he um, is a professor. I don't think Jacob and I either ever had him, but 
certainly a theater colleague in some capacity, said a career is something you look back on. And when I look back at the many different artistic lives that I've led, I am unbelievably proud of myself and surprised. Like when you sit there and you list those things, you can really um, see that you have done something. But I think like you, I've never really had one target either. I've always had many targets. And so I think that's why it's hard to measure success, whatever that means, or measure forward motion in a career field, because there are a lot of lateral moves because you're always meeting new people and collaborating with new people. Yeah. And I feel like it's like in the world of, we'll say performance, like you said, it's lateral. And it's also a lot of sometimes even like backward of like, like you mentioned, obviously you started your own theater company, which is a huge move and it's fantastic. But then you also have to like start back at square one. You start at square one. For like a lot of the things where it's like, I feel the same way. And again, this is not to discredit. I know we talked about audience size, so this is not like a size contest here, but it's like when it's like I direct a show that has an audience of like 2000 people for this Bell Witch Fall Festival. And then now it's like, oh, I want people to buy tickets to this brand new musical. And I hope we have a lot of people that come see it. But like we may have 20 people, but like I'm still a director. But for some reason that feels like have I taken a step back? And I know that's not true whatsoever, but like it's so hard to say, oh, I'm still moving forward and I'm still growing because like isn't everyone's dream in theater to be on Broadway, which is like never my dream anymore whatsoever. But it's like, what is the right path in theater? Like, how do you define check? Now let's like move up the ladder. And I don't think there is a ladder. I think it's just like, what do you want to do? Go do it. This is what was not communicated to me as a high school performer, as a, in college. It, I don't feel like it was very transparent. And maybe the people who were, you know, in those roles who could have told us didn't know that themselves at the time, but it has been something when I've been, when people have asked me, like, would you encourage, you know, your kid or other kids to go into theater? Of course I would. And also there's no ladder. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. And then going back to your kind of beginner mindset, I think I feel that with the podcast where it's like, I think I'm pretty good at directing, you know, I think I'm like decent performing though. I haven't done it in a while. Um, I'm great teaching and then doing a podcast, being a beginner again, it's like, oh, I'm not really that good at this, but maybe it's not a step back. Maybe it's just, it's a first step in a different lane. I'm not really good with metaphors here. Like you said, when high school, college, I completely agree because I'm like in high school, we didn't even have a stage manager. I don't even know what a stage manager was until college. So thank you, public education of <laughs> rural Nashville, because that is, you literally, like I walked out and I was like, wait, we don't all build the set together. The teacher doesn't design it. How does this work? And then got to college and now I'm like $26,000 in debt for you to not tell me these things. Granted, I gained so many skills and met so many beautiful people. And, uh, you know, that's the positive that I choose to look at, but I think the stereotypical person, because my family who doesn't even know theater stuff, they all were like, you're going to be on Broadway someday. And Chris is my husband, Chris, his parents are the same way. They're like, oh, we can't. You think like literally we wrote tenure, the show. And they were like, so it's like, is this going to, you think this is going to be on Broadway? And I'm like, oh, mama. I don't understand. Mama. Oh, well. Just tell her, don't break her heart. Just, uh. I'm like, well, if the one person that knows the one person that knows the one person comes to see this show and we become the Bridgerton TikTok musical, yes, then yes. But 99.9% of me, there can be, there can be 99 people in a room or there can be a hundred people in a room. So we need the one person. So send on Bradley Cooper. I've talked about with other people on the podcast, like fame and moments of fame can happen at any second because of this internet. Truly. TikTok is the worst and best thing to happen to us because I feel like everyone is like, I could get famous on TikTok. Granted, I literally had one post that has 575,000 views and it's me on a Taylor Swift drag bus. 
And I'm like, I'm like, where are all of you Swifties needing to support this queer musical? That's right. I'm like, so yeah, our neighbors are a country duo and they are fantastic and mm. the nicest people and so talented and they have their songwriting skills are just like, it's incredible. And some of their songs have been picked up by TV shows. And so they've got quite a few streams on, uh, you know, streaming services, but we had a really long conversation the other day about, you know, the husband of the duo mentioned, they were like, we don't want to write songs for TikTok. Like, like we're at such this weird crossroad of, yeah, we want to make it and we want this to be our livelihood, but also like, we don't want to write just some catchy song that's like not us just because it needs to take off on TikTok. And uh, this was not the answer to your question, but it's just like a weird thing to me where we did put a lot of content on TikTok um, and we're still trying to, you know, Wesley's been putting a lot of like when we workshopped it and he's done a lot of like recordings of things to be like, do at this. And, you know, we've had, I mean, we've met some people and networked with some people because of that, that are like, I want to come see it. Or, you know, I would love to do the show at my theater and, you know, whatever, which is cool. It's been really cool to see, but man, it is just like, it's a game. Like you just got to, you just got to keep going and going and going. And it's hard to see those posts. I know, you know, it where it's like, cool. This has four likes and we spent an hour putting this together. Okay, I have some rapid fire questions for Let's you. Let's do it. Oh, is this like um Brene Brown? This, oh, I was gonna say is this is like those 36 questions or whatever they do with Vogue. Oh Vogue. To, where it's like 70 questions and I'm like walking backwards and yes. Okay. <laughs> rapid fire questions. For anyone who is wanting to write their own musical, what piece of advice do you have for them? Don't think you have to follow a template. Don't listen to anyone who says, why are you singing four songs back to back and there's no dialogue? Because I want to. And who said that there's a template to writing musical? That's exactly right. My friend Susanna always says, if you can see the path before you, it's not your own. So when you can't really see out of the woods, then you know you're on you're on the right track. Taylor's okay, version. Taylor's version. That's exactly right. How do you take care of yourself as a creative in Nashville? Oof. Um, I have not done a great job the past two years, but I think obviously we've all been struggling with that. And there's a lot of anxiety that is out of my control sometimes with that. Right before the pandemic hit, I, I feel like this is the generic answer. So I'll give that one first is like, I just started setting boundaries and saying no. That is so important in our line of work, because like you said, people will DM you and say, can you do a watercolor? And we are so hungry for work. Yeah, we're saying yes, because we're hungry for it. Um, but then looking around and saying, okay, I don't need this to survive. No, I can say no. Yeah. yeah. If it is not, and this is something that Wesley and I, the reason that we actually finished writing the musical was a, because we got stuck in quarantine. And so we were our own COVID bubble and spent, you know, every Monday night with each other writing this, but B it was because we took a look around and we both were like the art that we're doing right now is just not life-giving. I sort of made a rule for myself, which I know is also generic. And I've heard other people say where it's like, if I personally don't find anything that I relate to in the script or the story or whatever it may be, or I don't feel like I'm going to get anything out of it, then I'm not going to do it. And I think for a lot of time, a lot of people, some people might see that as selfish, but I think we're in an environment where like no shade to anyone, but if someone comes to me and they're like, do you want to do still magnolias? I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to make room to do that. So yeah, I think setting boundaries, say no, especially to work that doesn't feel like it's life-giving. If, if you don't leave it thinking, wow, I'm a better person, or I'm really glad I did that, then like, don't accept the 17th watercolor request. <laughs> right. Well, because it's not sustainable and no. it's not the information that we're not 22 anymore. We're, we're in a different place. And I think that's a part of my current struggle is I turned, you turned 30 in December. I turned 30 in a couple of weeks and yeah. there is maybe a maturing that happened, or it is maybe it's just developmentally appropriate to look around and say, I don't want to spend every night in rehearsal. I don't want to spend 10 that's weekends it. out of the year in tech. 
I don't want that anymore. And there's a, a part of me is really sad that I don't want that anymore because what does that mean? But also I'm very happy with what I am doing in the time that I am not just at a theater because I'm supposed to be, or I think I'm supposed to be there and I'm struggling with it, but I'm also less stressed out because I do have clarity on the kind of projects I want to be doing and who I want to be working with. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And you are not alone. I literally had the same conversation where I said, like we started rehearsing this musical last week and it got to be Wednesday night. And I looked up and I was like, wow, I think the things I valued five years ago are not the things I value now. And I think one of those is time to myself. Mm-hmm. And when I have rehearsals every single night for the week, then I get home and it's like, oh, I'm going to go to sleep and do it all over again. And part of me was like really sad. I was like grieving that because I was like, well, this is my purpose. I'm supposed to do this, but I can't do it if it's, if you're not passionate about it. Like if I don't know, I, so anyway, you're not alone in that because I feel I'm really at a crossroads. I really like a Britney Spears crossroads film. <laughs> Britney Spears in, moment. Yes. Okay. And what would you say is the biggest lesson that you have learned about yourself, about creating art over the last decade, the last 10 years? Oh my God. I think it kind of feeds into what we were just talking about. I think what I've point number one is I am so bad at comparing myself to others. I think for me, what I, where I found that I do it the most is not in like, I want to be as successful as that person. Cause like what is success? But to me, for me, I found myself comparing the work that someone's doing. Like when it's graphic design work, like the things I was talking about earlier, where I feel like I'm good at a lot of things and I see someone else's work and I'm like, oh, I'm not great because that person's work is great. And so I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, I want to be as successful this. I think it's like a weird sub variant of that, of like, it's seeing the person's work and being like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. Or I wish I would have Mm -hmm. done that. Or like, I'm a creative person. Why didn't I think to try that? Or why didn't I think to do that? So I think One is like, I've got to stop comparing myself to others. And that's a lesson I'm still learning. And I think the second piece to it is what I've learned, especially when I went to Boston and taught there and worked in the theater there and then came back and worked for a big theater here. Everyone has a different perspective of like what it means to be a theater artist. If someone is giving 42 hours and you're giving 22 hours, it doesn't make you any less of an artist. If you're giving two hours. Right. It does not like everyone has a different definition. Everyone like there are some people who are like working their, Well, I won't say working their ass off because you can work your ass off at two hours. But I think that's something that I've really had to learn is like seeing these people who are basically just like selling themselves to the theater industry and like they live and breathe and don't even sleep because it's just theater all the time. We've got to do this. And I'm not that person. And I think that took a while for me. Like that took a lot of trial and error being like, no, I, I value my time with myself. I value my time with my significant other. I value time to just like explore my other creative outlets. And that's okay. Like you can be a theater artist and literally perform one time a year or write one show in four years. And like, that doesn't make you any less of an artist than someone who is in a full-time job at a professional theater working 83 hours. Yeah. That sounds miserable. <laughs> it's because, right. Cause like, we're, that's the thing, like my last point is jumping off what you're saying is I often am comparing myself to people whose lives I don't even want. I don't want that. So why yes. am I comparing myself? So much? Yes. Not worth it but I do the same thing. So Jacob, tell us about the show that you have coming up. (sighs) 10 year. um, It is a brand new queer musical. It uh, premieres June 2nd through 4th at the dark horse theater in West Nashville. Uh, We're in rehearsals right now. Um, Really excited about it. It's a 90 minute extended one act um, telling a queer story and 
the tagline that we use is we didn't want to write a story about coming out. We didn't want to write a story that focused on this character's journey of like oppression and then discovering themselves, but rather just like, this is a story about an individual who happens to be queer and is living life just like the rest of us and having emotions and having experiencing anxiety and experiencing excitement and experiencing all the spectrum of emotions. So yeah, tickets are on sale. So what's um a good, is there an Instagram handle or a Facebook yes. handle? You yes. can follow us on Instagram at King and Heinz. King and Heinz. Yes. H-E-I-N-Z spelled just like the ketchup um, at King and Heinz. You can follow us on TikTok. I believe it's at 10 year musical, but don't clock me on that. Yes. Pick that one. And then we also have a Facebook page, but if you're on that godforsaken platform, you can follow us at <laughs> King That's and Hines there as well. King and Hines. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Jacob, I'm so proud of you. I love I'm you so, so much. I'm so proud of you. This Thank is such you. a fun platform and you are incredible for starting it. Oh, thanks. Well, and I just am so, I'm just sitting with, now that I've done a few interviews with people that I don't know as well, and then coming back and doing it with you, um, someone who I'm very close to, it is just incredible to hear there is there is a similar theme running through the lives of artists between the age, I think, of like maybe all ages, but for me, it's been like the 25 to 35 range of things are different now, and maybe some of it was pandemic related, some of it is just we're getting older and there's different things that are important in our life and having to navigate that identity. So thank you for helping me not feel so alone. Absolutely. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you.